All right. So the reason we showed you this extended video today uh, was because it hits, a lot of, uh, hits on a lot of the themes that I want to talk about uh, this morning. Uh, we're talking about the ways in which Christian faith or, or uh, the church interacts or influences culture. And one of the areas in which uh, faith and, and particularly the church comes into contact with culture is through art, through music, through, uh, through painting, through gardening, through uh, sculpture, through all of these different artistic art forms. There's almost too many to name. But in a myriad of ways, the church or faith needs to come into contact, influence, intermingle with these things. And uh, the artist who we saw on the video there has found some very interesting ways in the environment in which he finds himself to interact with uh, the arts culture that is there in New York City, right? So he's opened the church to uh, this beauty and the, the beauty and power of contemporary art. He's one of these contemporary artists who uh, has really influenced kind of the way the church has even seen contemporary art. But he has also opened the door in the world of contemporary art to the beautiful ways that faith can add value and contribute to the cultural conversation. He's done both of these things, right? And it's very, very compelling, even powerful. The truth is that uh, the ways that we consume, create, and interact with art say an incredible amount about us, doesn't it? It says a lot about who we are as people. It says a lot about the church. Now, this is a really large topic. It's actually huge. Uh, so we won't be able to touch every single issue here today. Uh, but just as a quick roadmap to where we're actually going, I wanted to I want to first lay out a quick kind of biblical theology of art to see actually how uh, Christians should interact with art and why it is that art is a good thing and something that must be affirmed by the church. And then uh, in line with last week, we're going to talk about how we can engage this thing called art, right? We can engage culture through the arts uh, in a way that is redemptively participate, participatory, in a way in which we can participate in this field of art redemptively, in a way that brings uh, the light of Christ into our world, all right? So this is a little different, right? It's a little bit of a different topic, but I'm looking forward to it. Now, the word art covers a ton of ground. It covers a lot of different areas and facets. It spans so many different disciplines and activities from dance and painting, from movies and TV and music, from glass blowing and sculpture uh, create, creating to acting even. It covers all of these different areas, all of these different fields. There is, in many ways, an art to almost everything we do, isn't there? Have you ever met someone who is really good at something, like really, really good at something, and there was, there was just this kind of artistry around the way that they did that thing? Uh, we've all known that person who can open an empty fridge and an empty cupboard and cobble together the things inside there and make something absolutely delicious. And then we've all known that person who can have all of the best ingredients in a really nice cookbook opened up and can make something that is slightly less than edible, right? There's an, there's an artistry to the way in which we do things. 
Uh, we've also all probably known somebody who has who works well with their hands. Maybe they're a, a handyman. Maybe they're a builder of some kind. And there's just this artistry around that ability, right? Somebody who can create a beautiful home. There's a kind of artistry there. There's, there's something intrinsic and beautiful about that. Or maybe you're just the type of person that loves to bring order and structure and beauty out of disorder, right? Some of you might like, some of you people might like that, might like things like spreadsheets and find this incredible amount of beauty and artistry in the order that comes about, Mike's smiling, it comes about in the order and structure of our world, right? I knew that one. I, that one was for you, actually. Uh, April and May were really busy for Ashley and I. They tend to be busy for us every year. And so, and Ashley's birthday is in April 2nd. And so what she asked her mom for was a little bit of money so that we could hire a cleaning lady for an hour a week for three or four weeks. And the very first time that uh, this cleaning lady came, I walked in my house and I was a little blown away by it, that she had made the, our house like sparkling and clean in a shorter amount of time than I thought it was possible. I literally walked in our bathroom and thought she had replaced the toilet, <laughs> which I don't know if that says something about her or about us. Most of you have been over to our house and you don't think it's a pit sty. But uh, there's this artistry to just about everything we do, right? There can be artistry in all of these types of things. Uh, but the point of art or artistry, I think, the point is, I think, is about bringing beauty, structure, and order out of chaos, out of disorder, to, to create out of our, whether it's an artistic endeavor or whether there's this type of artistry in the work that we do, to create out of this place of disorder, to make something in a place that maybe it wasn't there before, right? To, to bring order to something that was in some way, shape, or form disordered. And what's interesting about this innate desire that humans have to do this is that it seems from the scriptures that God placed that desire in us, that he put it in us to be artistic, to engage in art, to bring order out of chaos. In Genesis 1, the very first uh, five chapters or five verses of the Bible say this, in the beginning God created right, the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. God saw that the light was good, and he separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning on the first day. Notice here how the very first thing we learn about God in the Scriptures, the very first thing we learn about God in the Scriptures when we first open the Bible, the very first five lines of the Bible tell us that God is a creator, that God is creative, that central what it is, what it means to be God is to be the, capital T, creator. So we see that God is creative and his creativity produces beauty, right? He said it was good. He said it was beautiful. But there's something else that's interesting that happens in the narrative. God does not stop there, does he? He crowns his creation when he creates man in his image, when he creates human beings. And it's interesting what he tells people to do after he creates them. 
In Genesis 1.28, God has created uh, Adam and Eve, and he says this, God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful, increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it. Fill the earth and subdue it, is what his instruction, after he says, be fruitful and multiply. He says, rule over the fish in the sea and the birds of the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. The words uh, here that I want to focus on are these words, rule and subdue, rule and subdue. Now, in the Hebrew, these words don't necessarily carry the same connotation that they do uh, in English. Uh, there's a little bit of a different idea that's communicated here, and I want to dig into those words for just one second. What God is actually saying to these humans, to Adam and Eve in this passage, what he's really saying here is that he's asking Adam and Eve to be his kind of co-creators. What he's asking them to do is to begin to bring order and structure out of the good world that he created. He asked them to continue this process of creating that he began, right? He created them, and he gives them this job to do. And what he says is, be fruitful and multiply, create, right? And then order and subdue the world that I have given you. Uh, continue to bring order and beauty out of the thing that I've already created. This is what he says to Adam and Eve. And notice that this is pre-fall, right? This is before the fall. Adam and Eve have not sinned, and God is still giving them work to do here, right? He's still, getting, he's still giving them a task of some kind. Now, work is not uh, a result of the fall. Toil is a result of the fall. But work in and of itself is not. And the work that he gives them to do, the impetus that he creates in Adam and Eve, the thing he creates them to want to do, right, is this desire to be creative, to be artistic. The impetus for art comes from the creator God. The impetus, the desire, the, the want to make a scrapbook <laughs> comes from God, right? Some of you are scrapbookers. The desire uh, to want to bring order out of disorder, the desire to want to cut flowers and put them in a vase and put them in the middle of your table because it creates in some real and true way some sense of beauty in your home comes from God. And there can be a kind of artistry to that, right? Commenting on this passage in Genesis, uh, Genesis, there's a scholar and author, his name's Brent Speakman. He says this, God's creative activity demands both reception and response from the human side. So we must receive it and we must respond to it. As a result, human, uh, humans create arts, meditate, uh, mediate God's own creative activity, and become an extension of God's work of creation, right? Thus, he maintains that God puts himself... Uh, willingly in a place where the creative work of human hands is needed uh, to complement that of his own if the unfinished project of creation is finally to come to fruition. God wants to work with us. God wants to work in and through us to bring about creation, to bring beauty into the world. This is what God wants to do. So to create is in a way, in a very real way, to participate with God, to reflect, to reflect back to God His beauty and His creativity, right? It's a way of expressing the goodness, the beauty, and the creativity of God when we create, when we do this. 
So we are called by God to create. And it's no surprise then that Christians must participate in the arts because God creates us to reflect his creativity out into the world. So because of this reality, we cannot escape this, right? We cannot escape this. Last week, we talked about how the church, how as Christians, we are called to redemptively participate in the culture we find ourselves in. We are not supposed to abandon culture or adopt it or adopt it wholesale. Rather, we are called to be good citizens working for the good of our communities. We are called to act redemptively, right, to, to redemptively participate within the different areas of culture in order to bring about good things that are common to all, but also reflect back to the culture the goodness and love of God. This is what we're called to. So how do we participate redemptively in art? How do we do this? Uh, how do we participate in what the, what redemptively in what the culture understands to be uh, artistic endeavor? Because it's obvious that in many ways, culture has taken uh, uh, our, human, our human, our innate desire to create and has in some ways turned and twisted it. Has some ways used, not every way, but in some ways has used that desire, twisted it a little bit, and it has become non-redemptive or unredemptive. And so, how do we do this? How do we engage in this way? Our innate creativity inside of every human being has been twisted and at times has become a means for people to simply express our own sin and dysfunction, right? Because if we're, in, if we're innately creative, right, or if, we're all, if human beings were created with this desire, we're in, at times going to take it in directions that go a little wonky if we are sinful people, right? So how is the church called to interact with art and with culture? How are we called to do it? How do we know what to engage with and how to engage with it? It's a very large question. We can't answer it all today, but we're going to try to lay a little bit of groundwork as to how we should approach these issues, right? So in Philippians uh, chapter 4, verses 8 and 9, Paul says this to the church in Philippi. He says, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. So if God is the creator, then everything that is good, true, and beautiful, everything that is truly good, true, and beautiful comes from him, right? There's this Christian philosopher, or he was at Wheaton uh, in Chicago. His name's Arthur F. Holmes, and he wrote a book and coined a phrase. The book is titled this, what this phrase is, but he said, all truth is God's truth. All, anything that is true comes or belongs to God, comes from or belongs to God. And I think this very idea can be helpful for us as Christians. Wherever we see, right, wherever we see truth or beauty, we can and should affirm it. And we can and should learn from it wherever we see it, whoever it comes from, right? If it is true and if it is good, it comes from God. And so we can affirm it right? We, we can do this because uh, it's just uh, the reality of our world that anything that's true, beautiful, or lovely comes from God. 
Now, oftentimes, really all the time, not everything in our world is 100% beautiful or ugly, right? We know this to be true. There's nothing in our world that is 100% all the time good, right? And something that is, and then another thing that is 100% all the time bad, right? Everything we encounter in culture, in this world, and particularly in the art world, is kind of a mingling of these two things, right? So this creates a little bit of tension in our lives when we're attempting to go about figuring out how to engage, <clears throat> how to engage with a thing. So what this requires of us and is what we call in the Bible discernment, right? As the church, we are called to discern these issues, you see, there are movies and music that have good and beautiful qualities uh, that are not, in and of themselves, Christian, right? This is true. I think you guys have all gone to a movie this year that wasn't, in and of, like, wasn't overtly Christian, right? You have listened to something or watched something or participated in something or read something that was not overtly Christian. And why did you do that? Why did you do that? Because it was in some way good, right? It had something in it that was good. And, if, and to the extent that there is good in those things, we can affirm them. We should affirm them. This is part of the way that we participate in culture. No, um, I am not... Uh, I, now, I am free to affirm beauty, truth, and artistry in all kinds of different music and all kinds of different things... But there are places or points where the artistry, where that artistry moves in ways that are non-redemptive, right? There, there are ways in which those things in which we engage with can move in ways that are non-redemptive or overtly contradict uh, that which, as a follower of Jesus, I believe to be good, right? And in those times, it may be best to avoid ex exposing ourselves to those things. Does this make sense? But that does not mean that we simply tur we turn a non-critical eye towards things that we, in culture that we may believe to be not fully good, because nothing really is fully good. And so how we engage with art, how we engage with movies, how we engage with music requires of us a certain amount of discernment, a certain amount of intelligence as we approach these things. Now, this is not a conversation we give to our children, right? We as the adults need to do this and then mediate to our children how they are to interact with culture and art until they're old enough to do that for themselves. But we as adults in a community of faith need to be uh, about the business of doing this. We need to be acting in this way in order that we can receive and affirm the good in culture because there is plenty of good in culture and there is plenty we can learn from good art and good music in good sculpture, in good acting, in good movies, in culture. There really is. This isn't something you hear pastors say up on stage very often, is it? <laughs> but it happens to be quite true. And if it is good, if it is noble, if it is admirable, we can affirm it, even if it is not overtly Christian, even if it doesn't come from a Christian source at all. If we are going to redemptively participate in the cultural conversation around the arts. We can't simply bracket ourselves off from things that may not uh, be totally good. Does that, do you understand? Because if we, if we bracket ourselves from, uh, off from things that aren't totally good or totally Christian or totally perfect, we have essentially just quarantined ourselves into the corner, right? 
We don't have a conversation or a voice in culture anymore. We, we don't have anything to say. We don't have a common vernacular with the culture in which we live through which we can communicate truth or beauty or goodness or the gospel, right? Does this make sense? If we are going to participate in, in the cultural conversation with love and goodwill and with the good news of Jesus, we have to engage it. We have to live in, around, and through culture. So this is not a message you might have noticed about drawing a whole bunch of lines, about what is uh, good and what is bad and what you should be listening to and what you shouldn't be listening to and what you should be watching or shouldn't be watching. As a Christian, I believe fully that the Holy Spirit dwells in every other Christian and that you have a direct line to God and that you can determine, honestly, and you'll make mistakes here because you're sinful just like I am, but you can determine for yourself to a certain extent what is good and pleasing and lovely and what should be brought into your mind and heart and what should not, right? It is, it is our responsibility as a community, right? We are in this together, but it's, it's our responsibility also as individuals to do this work, to think realistically about it. Because the truth of the matter is none of us are the same as others of us, right? We're all different. We've all had different experiences in our lives. We've all encountered things that different from others. And we all have things that might be good for us in certain situations and bad for us in other situations, right? It's possible that if... Uh, that Sesame Street could be really bad for you for some reason. I don't know. Maybe you've had a traumatic experience with a puppet. See, that's a joke. Uh, but there, there might be some situation in which you have had a bad experience, right? Or you have had some experience that has colored you in some way that makes, you, uh, that makes some engagement with some art less good for you. And for another person, it might be okay. I read a book when I was in college that really helped me kind of process these issues. It's called My Name is Asher Lev. It's by a, it's by a, a Jewish writer named Kaim Potok. Uh, and Asher Lev is this Hasidic Jewish boy, but he's also this incredibly gifted artist. And so uh, there's all kinds of ways that he learns to become an artist in this very, uh, very conservative, very cloistered, very small religious community of Hasidic Jews in New York and all the ways in which his art comes into contact or contact and conflict at times with his art. It's, it make, creates this very contentious relationship with his father. It creates this really interesting relationship with his mother. And there's all kinds of interesting things happening here. And it's this beautiful piece of art, right, this novel, that illustrates some of the ways in which, some of the nuance in this issue of how we engage with art. I suggest you pick that book up. It's really, really good. I didn't do, like, two papers one time because I was reading it. Uh, do all, finish all your papers for the record this week, <laughs> college students. The reality of our world, right, is that there are good things and there are bad things, and there are things that are kind of good and kind of bad, and there are things that are kind of bad and kind of good, and this is the world we occupy. And if we are to be Christians who engage the world well, right, if we are to engage the world with the gospel well, we are, we are going to need people who have eyes and ears that we discern these things, that we, as we engage culture and entertainment, movies, music, art, as we do all of these things, we have to do it both uh, listening honestly to our own hearts and to what the Spirit says to us about what is or is not good for us. Does this make sense? So uh, that's something we have to do. It's something we have to think about. 
and something that might be good for you might not be good for your brother or sister. And we need to have, and something that, that you, is not good for you that you might have drawn a line on might be okay for them. So we need to learn to extend grace, right? And to understand that not every situation in my life is the same as every situation in someone else, else's life. And we need to learn to extend grace in those situations while still holding to the things that we believe are right and good for us. Does this make sense? All right, thank you. We'll move past that now. So, uh, it, finishing up here, moving quickly, uh, I just have these two points. The first is that the church needs art. So why does the church need art? Uh, Brent Speakman, again, this artist, he says, the arts and its various forms of expression have a way of transforming the world around us, offering glimpses into a, spec into a spectrum of possibility and blowing a gentle breeze across the deepest embers hidden within the recesses of the human soul. And this is why art is so powerful, because it reveals truth to us in ways that maybe we did not see or understand before. Have you, have you ever seen... Uh, a movie or read a poem that made you cry, right? And you didn't even know why. You're just weeping endlessly. I watched the Pearl Harbor movie on, on a drive to school with my friends, and they were just watching this movie about ships blowing up, and I'm just weeping endlessly in the back, I, like literally in the fetal position crying, and I was like, man, this is not a good look for me. <laughs> it, was the, it, was the, it was the male friendships in it for some reason that really got me. Anyways, uh, so it's, it's this incredibly important thing. And the church needs good art. The church needs good music. The church needs artists and artisans to engage us with their art to help us see the truth and beauty of life, right? It, art does this for us. It wakes us up in a sense. It, it reminds us. It, it says things to us in more profound ways than the simple, straight words can say to us. Here's the way I always like to illustrate this. I can tell Ashley, my wife, uh, I can say, I love you, right? And that's a true statement. We say it to one another pretty much every day. Or I can say, uh, shall I compare thee to a summer's day? Thou art more lovely and more temperate, right? That's just here. Didn't read that. That's all here. This is what I... This is what, that's what I say to her all the time, just quote poetry. And if you were to ask someone what that Shakespeare poem means, right, they would say it means he loves her and she's pretty. But it means so much more than that, doesn't it? It has so much deeper an emotional resonance. The poem is actually so much more powerful and uh, moving because of what it is, right? Because it's this beautiful piece of art. It's actually, uh, it actually barely correlates to the words, I love you and you're pretty, right? It's so much more significant. And this is what art does for us. It wakes us up, right? It brings to our minds and our hearts the reality of a thing in a way that straight words or straight experience can't always get to. And so for this reason, the church needs art. We need painting and we need sculpture to remind us and inspire us towards, towards God's good vision of the world, right? Have you ever seen a painting that just creates a longing in you? Just a deep longing, a desire for something more than what is in the midst, in your very midst at that moment. That is a pointer, right? It's, it's, it's something that points to the reality of our world. It's something, and that 
art can create in us this desire and this love for God. It can, it can cultivate in us this deep uh, reservoir of love and goodness that we can lean into. It really can. And the church needs this. It is not optional for the church to express itself to God in love because God created us to be artistic, right? Like we said earlier, if God put this innately in us, the church needs it. And so if you're an artist in this place and you have any skill whatsoever, the church in some sense needs your gift. The New Testament talks about this all the time. The gifts that you've been given as an individual are for the building up of the body, right? And if you have an artistic gift, you need to put it to use, and you need to put it to use for others. It can't just be a selfish thing that's kept to yourself. It has to be something that's given to the church and to the world, right? We can't keep these things to ourselves. And The church needs beautiful music to connect with God in worship. Why do we worship God through music every Sunday? Why do we do this? We do this because it wakes us up, because it brings to our minds and our hearts this fuller awareness of who God is and that He's in our midst, Right? We need this. It is not optional. It is not optional. So that's one. We need, the, we need art in the church. And secondly, we need, the world needs art. We need our art. We need the art from Christians out in the world. So there's a, uh, a writer named Francois-René Chateaubrenade. I just wanted to say his name. Um, sounds like a delicious thing to eat. Uh, Chateau Bernade is a, isn't it? I don't know. Is that a French? Yeah. Something like that. Yeah, I don't know. If you like French food, maybe he makes it. I don't know. Uh, he says this. He's a, he's a writer. He says, uh, uh, the fine arts impart a magic coloring to life, melt the soul, and fill us with faith in the divinity. He says the divinity. The world needs more beauty. The world does. It needs more truth, right? It needs to be provoked to ask questions. It needs to be brought into contact with the divine, and art can help us do that. The playwright uh, Thornton uh, Wilbur says that art can awaken us uh, when we come into contact with us, and he says that um, this is the way, he says, it, it brings us to a, a, the awareness that this is the way things are. I have always known it without being fully aware that I knew it. Now, in the presence of this play or novel or poem or picture or piece of music, I know that I know it, right? That in some sense, art can awaken in people who might be far from God the awareness of him. And art can be this powerful presence for good and for the gospel and community. And so Christians need to be engaged in it and engaged in the cultural conversation. The world needs art because they need to be made, be made more fully aware of the beauty and wonder of God. They need Christians to be doing this. They need to be brought to a fuller awareness of, in Wilbur's words, the way things are, that there is a creator God who is thoroughly lovely and beautiful and longs, longs to be reconciled to his creation. Art and artistry are wonderful ways to awaken uh, that reality in people's hearts and to bring it to their minds in ways that maybe they've never seen before. 
if we as the church, as Christian artists, do not bring our art into public, right, how will our culture ever be provoked or confronted with the truth that we carry in, in powerful ways? Art is one of the most primary, it's one of the most primal and powerful ways that truth is communicated. And if Christians do not interact and engage in public, that truth will simply be kept to ourselves. And I don't think that's acceptable, to be honest with you. I don't think that's what God calls us to do. But you may be asking yourself, I'm not an artist. I don't, if you're like me, you don't do anything artistic. Unless yelling at the football script, at the, your football team when they're on TV can be considered an art. And it may have ascended to that level in my presence. I don't know. Uh, what, do, what if you're not in any particular way or observable way artistic, what, what do you do? Right? What do you do? Uh, Mako, the, the gentleman who we saw on the video in a blog post that he wrote, says this. He says, go into the world and pay attention to the miraculous things. See heaven in a wildflower, all of us. Share that, which each, uh, share that with each other uh, and begin to name these experiences through art, music, drama, and poetry. Actually, through any activity. You can be a nurse or a doctor dealing with Ebola. Pray for them with the uh, prismatic power of God's word. Or an engineer trying to solve how to create a better city. Or a politician who leads with compassion and empathy rather than usurping power. You can bring beauty into the world through all of these means. Ponder why St. Paul called the, uh, the good news the mystery. Your life will become generative. And by generative, he just means your life will begin to create. Right? Your life itself will begin to create. So we are all artists in the church. We really are. We are all called to uh, endow our existence with a kind of artistry. We are all called to pursue truth and beauty in and through the innate creativity uh, that is within you because of who created you. Whether it's music or film or painting or drawing or sculpture or poetry or gardening or construction or relationships. Have you ever seen anybody that's an artist with relationships? It's a beautiful thing to behold. Interior design, graphic design, or music. Whatever it is, whatever it is, we are called to engage in public with artistry and with faithful excellence. We are called to this. We are called to this. We are called to cultivate artistic lives. We are called to, art, to, to cultivate beautiful lives. We are called to be a people who bring order, structure, beauty, and truth out of chaos, disorder, and dysfunction. The church is called to this reality, and we are called to engage culture in this way. There's all kinds of gray here. There really is. In the ways in which we go about engaging that culture, there's all kinds of nuance to it. But at the heart of who we are as the church, at the center of what we're called to, is that we're called, each and every one of us, to be artists, to express God's goodness to the world in ways that maybe no one else is capable of expressing it, with, with gifts and abilities that maybe no one else has. You are called, I am called, to love our world, and our community, our culture well by pursuing art, beauty, 
goodness and excellence in everything that we do in such a way that God's goodness, beauty, and love can be displayed to the world. This is what art is for, and this is what we are called to do. Let's pray. Father, we love you. You are the creator of all good things. And we ask that today, God, we would be a people who would partner with you in this creation, that we would be your co-creators, God, that we would learn to express the good and the beautiful in our world in a way that brings life and love, in a way that communicates the gospel, maybe not overtly, maybe in, in ways that seem uh, a little less straightforward, God, but in ways that truly communicate the good news of, of the gospel to our world. Jesus, I pray uh, that if there's anyone in here who has felt uh, stifled by the church, that there are ways in which um, they haven't experienced or, or felt the freedom to create in the way that they uh, maybe have want to, God, that you would free them up, that you would show them the path, that you would lead them and guide them in that process, in that artistic process of being who you created them to be. Jesus, would you uh, form us into a community of people who engage your world well, who love well, and who bring uh, redemptive possibility into our world. We love you, Jesus, and we ask that you would help us to love you more. We pray it all in your name. Amen and amen. Go today in the grace and the peace of Jesus.